Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. I'm Duffy Dixon. Joining me is Jennifer Strahan. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Soar Vision Group. Jennifer has partnered with more than 100 health systems and businesses across the U.S. She helps them transform their strategic and their administrative operations. Uh, absent this week is CEO Ben Sawyer, who we always tease, Jennifer, that he's always doing something fun. Where is he now? He's actually off in a really neat retreat for a nonprofit organization, and he's supporting them um, as a guest to their strategy. So he's so doing he's some working fun. He's this still time. playing it's, golf. It's mostly play, <laughs> but he gets to throw in some really golf. cool stuff. <laughs> you know, when you throw golf into it, it yeah. makes work a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, that third voice you hear is a new member to the team. This is Lisa Council. She is the new Chief Commercial Officer of Soar Vision Group, and you have a long career in nursing, primarily in critical care. And so that really brings um, a great perspective to the table um, of people who see patients, deal with doctors and administration. You get to deal with it all. I have a friend who's training to be a nurse right now, and she is so excited. And I think, oh, you've got a big job ahead of you. Mm -hmm. So congratulations. Thanks for joining the team. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Now, this is the section that we call a deep dive, okay, because we're following up on what we talked about last week and primarily who we talked to last week. That was Bob Peterson. He's the CEO of Millinocket Regional Hospital in Maine. This is a smaller school. It's considered a critical access hospital. And what that means is there are 25 or fewer beds. The length of stay is about 96 hours and they offer acute care, but it is not just emergency room, right, Jennifer? This is a small rural hospital that is needed right so they offer for the most part full set of services across the board uh, which creates a, a very unique niche in their community because their closest hospital is 40 miles away and their next closest tertiary hospital for those very advanced cases is 75 miles away so that's a, a unique role that they can bring and just a significant value to their again their residents and, and without and without them oftentimes patients will die in transport from their community to those larger facilities. Yeah, he talked about heart attacks and mm -hmm. strokes, and we just had cardiac surgeons on the show and um, on another show I was on, and they talked about every minute every counts. Every minute. And then they talked about things like snowmobiling accidents, and I thought, it's Maine. When you could get snowed in, you can't have a helicopter fly in, this, in a snowstorm. Mm. So these are really critical, it, that's the reason they're called that, critical access mm -hmm. hospitals. He also had a really unique I mean, he's just a great CEO. I yes. mean, don't you get that? Yeah. Why? Why is he a great CEO, Jennifer? So I, I've been fortunate to get to know Bob at, on a personal level because we're doing our doctorate program together. Okay. And so we've gotten to, to connect and also even connect from the perspective of business and talk about, obviously, hospitals and healthcare. And it is his passion just shines through in everything he says, uh, whether it's from his three grandbabies, which are very cute because I've been able to see their pictures, or if it is from a work. And, you know, one of the things he mentioned was he loves going to work every day. And I think that passion is what really creates excitement. In leadership and and to maintain that throughout a career because he's had a very successful career that really speaks volumes to him and he says he's really happy that he calls it the the, the last part of his career he's really happy that he is in this rural setting mm -hmm. 
And he talked about some of the challenges uh, and some of the successes of being in that rural setting. Can you highlight some of those? Sure. So as a reminder to our, our audience, some of the things that they're talking about, you know, from a critical access hospital, you have a significant barrier when you're working with volumes of patients, your payer mix. Uh, in terms of are we getting paid, do we make enough money to cover our bills? Because it's a very different uh, structure than those large hospitals who are in urban urban areas. Um, and on top of that, of course, you just have community challenges that you're dealing with. It, it does make a difference in terms of the employees that you have and the types of specialties that you can bring in. So there's, there's just a very different approach to strategy that these smaller rural hospitals have to focus on. And I would just say that's not really just hospitals. I mean, that's across the board for rural America and, and even to tap into small businesses that are competing in a, in a very large market, you have to find ways to differentiate yourself. And one of the things that I loved is that they have differentiated themselves by making sure that everybody is family. And, and that's something we say often, treat everybody like family, but they have a track record for doing it. And he could tell you story after story. And you, you probably recall the really great story he shared, uh, gave me goosebumps when he was talking about the the individual who um, one of his last requests was actually to play a piano and his doctor went out of his way went home to get their piano and let him play and just highlight that for him so what a great story super cool I will say that on the payer mix side um, you know in rural communities oftentimes they're Medicare Medicaid patients Mm -hmm. which again are completely out of his control right Um, you know if there were large industries or there was someone who came into the market from a business perspective then there would be more access to commercial payers his payer mix would go up right um so he really is only playing in the sandbox that he that he can really control anything because the payer mix is not something other than lobbying his legislatures you know how do we actually change that that reimbursement rate so um i applaud him for you know really going after culture because he needs to make that organization and he's doing it one that everybody wants to come to they'll even drive extra to go to him yes so one of the the quotes that ben will often mention so since he's not here i feel like it's our obligation to (laughs) highlight him one of the things that he'll often say is that you know every leader casts a shadow and an organization lives in the shadow of the leader and what a great shadow to cast from bob when you think about the culture he's been able to create that's a unique thing and you know, some people will say it's easier in smaller hospitals than larger, but I actually don't know if that's true. I think that there's less people. So once you start to create it, it spreads a little faster, but you know, culture is one of those things. It's hard to change anywhere. Absolutely. And I think you still have a sphere of influence that become those 10 or 20 people. And he's got well, you know, well advanced to that number. So I think he's, uh, he's really tapped into something that his shadow is, is really making an impact in a community long term. Yeah, and I love that because when we think about leadership, it's a great legacy for leaders. What's the legacy that our leaders are leaving? And so we ended the show, he brought the challenge out to say, hey, I want all of our leaders, my challenge to you is to go talk to patients round get out of your chair you know leave the spreadsheets and the different reports and data and everything else that you're looking at behind you and just go talk to patients. So talk about that a little bit. Lisa? Yeah, so I'd say that um, the industry, healthcare industry, really is making a big push globally to, you know, to do rounding to influence um, is what it's kind of labeled. Um, Bob's probably been doing this for a very long time, getting out, and he was at much larger organizations before. 
Um, so Eastern Maine Medical Center uh, was was a large organization that he that he worked at before. So he's seen the big, and now he can appreciate what the rural hospital, mm-hmm. um, the differences, and what he can bring to bear. But um, you know, I applaud all executives in healthcare today if they're getting away from their desk and they're actually getting out to patients and interacting with families and really connecting on that human side and not just being tied to what's my reimbursement rate yeah. what's my length of stay what are my you know ongoing challenges from from an economic standpoint and really making it more human as bob called it that you know it's it should be a human business right you know what i love about that is that when we're looking at reports as senior leaders and you're looking at things such as our readmission rates for patients that maybe should not have been back or patients that should have, when we're looking at things like our hospital-acquired infections and the different things that help us manage our business, we see numbers all the time, yeah. right? We see rates, we see data. But when you're out and about, those numbers are not just numbers anymore, they're faces. And that's so much more powerful when you start to change that culture. And even think about like high reliability organizations, that has an impact there. And Absolutely. Lisa, being, being an employee as a nurse, when you deal with your administrators, what does that mean for employees when you see the leader get in there, get in the trenches, you know, it, talk to people and, and talk to the employees, as you said, talk to the patients and their families? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I've been out of nursing for a while. I moved on to the kind of clinical informatics side of it. But even in the days in the trenches, when I had a boss who was willing to do everything he or she expected me to do, you're willing to go above and beyond, right? And I think that's true with any business. You know, if you're if your leader is really willing to walk through the wall of fire with you, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna you're gonna step up and do the exact same thing. I think that from a healthcare perspective, employee engagement is again kind of a coin term that's yeah. that's gotten some roots lately, and people are really trying to engage at the front line because if you don't empower the people at the front line, you're not going to make change, regardless of the size of the hospital. So, um, so again, having, you know, having even employees see a CEO in a hospital make rounds, talk to family, that's pretty, you know, that's a pretty big change and a big shift from um, years ago when I was clinically practicing. So, um, again, I, I think that the more that people are really working together and collaboratively, on either the employee engagement or the patient engagement, um, it really is making a difference. And statistically, it's proven it. So let's pull this back to the hierarchy of needs just for our listeners to make sure we're connecting the dots because we've talked about a few things and one one of which is around colleague engagement, which really is the foundation of our hierarchy, right? Because if our colleagues are not engaged, they're not going to want to deliver care or deliver their service because, again, that's relevant beyond just healthcare. Right. And if we can keep them engaged by helping them do their jobs more effectively, more efficiently, helping them not have to work excessive overtime and not having to constantly fight fight the battles that really are not necessary, I think that tends to drive a lot more value that we can bring to customers. And a big piece of that is supported through leadership. Because if you remember, leadership kind of crosses the angle across all the different aspects of the hierarchy. And what that does is it empowers your employees to do things like go out and get a piano to let your your employees play, right? That's unique, again. And I wanted to ask, um, how, how free do employees feel to do things like that, to think outside the box, to let you know we've had examples and i've been asked wanting to ask you about this lisa there are some times that they will let 
people bring in their dogs for yeah, a last pet visit. Pet therapies pet, didn't. Pet therapy, and that's sure. something that, yes. you know, it used to be one visitor in the room, oh, and there yeah. will not be any animals. Yeah. But that sort of thinking to what the pa- what will make the patient have those last experiences the best. Who has to say it's okay to think that way? Or, I mean, yeah. you have to get direction, right? For sure, yeah. for sure. And, and I again, I think leaders in hospitals are seeing um, from a patient experience perspective, you know, they're hiring patient experience officers. Um, I'm, I'm excited that many of those people are not clinical in nature. Um, they're coming to the organizations like Cleveland Clinic as an example, and they may have been a patient, you know, who may be in remission for cancer, and they have a different perspective on what patient experience is. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that organizations are really allowing certain people inside the organization some latitude to go outside the box. And again, if, if employee engagement is really top of mind, they're letting their employees come to them and say, hey, I think it would be great if we brought in a keyboard for a patient as kind of their dying wish. Or, you know, I bring in a, a pet from a pet therapy perspective. So I still don't want it to kind of hit on one or two people's um you know their responsibility but it should be a culture Mm -hmm. we're still back to a culture of engagement yeah which is driven by leadership right right? and i would some people are going to say well we we can't have anything that costs money okay bring in your own keyboard doesn't cost money therapy groups work for free so those are just little things that make a huge difference to frontline workers well and there's been there have been studies i believe that i'd have to go back and give you ref, like specific reference but it'll show things like different creative therapies and things that make patients happy it shortens their length of stay and it shortens their recovery time so it's actually a value to the patients not just for us to make them happy but for them to actually get to experience that and then be able to get healthier faster yeah and jennifer you touched on something um a little earlier in the dialogue and that was really around kind of uh, the employee side which um clinicians often have great burnout in healthcare. yeah and so whatever we can do again to to have a success factor for them and really do something that's unique that improves you know statistically that improves their burn the the lack of burnout Mm -hmm. and reduces their burnout rates which is a really um concern among healthcare providers today right and that's across physicians nurses across the board and so how do we engage them how do we encourage them and again empowerment for them to be able to come up with creative ideas and not just say no because Mm -hmm. it's different Mm -hmm. which is important we've never done that yeah yeah like we can't or just we can't do that well why not well i don't know it just doesn't make sense because (laughs) we've never done that before it's never been done that way yeah (laughs) exactly our favorite phrase yes Yes, or that didn't work. We tried that before. That's another good one. So if we think about this in terms of, again, kind of relating that to our to the hierarchy and the colleague engagement supports that strategy, and that's been a way that he's been able to differentiate himself. The thing that I really like about that is sometimes when we have small businesses, the community and uh, patients or customers will often say, well, that's the only place we have to go. But they've worked very hard to actually not have that happen, where the, this isn't where you have to go because it's the only option. It's where people want to go. Yeah, I mean, they he said they could drive 35 miles to yeah. the next facility. 35 miles is nothing. I mean, it's... Maybe not in Atlanta, but... Maybe not in Atlanta, <laughs> but still, I mean, it, it people have choices, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Telemedicine is now very big. Um, I think, again, people like that human side to healthcare. Yes. Yes. That's kind of an expectation. So one of the things, just tying what you just said about the human side of healthcare and back to what you mentioned about burnout, a lot of that, 
I would imagine, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, even though it's been a while since you've been kind of on the front line, we're still seeing it. You connect with nurses and physicians every day. But thinking about how we get so caught up in doing every single little task of what we have to just check off of our list for the day that we lose track of even being able to have that human side Mm -hmm. because we've got to document this or we've got to do this thing according to this policy. And it just, I think we lose time to innovate. For sure. And I would say, you know, I kind of um, was fortunate to see the whole movement of the EHRs when we automated healthcare documentation. And I was old school where we were charting, you know, everything manually. And I was master task list. Man, I was good at checking off a box. But there is something to be said. Those tasks have to be completed. But then you get even more removed when you've got a distraction of a computer system or a barcode system. And there are distractions and even medical errors that you're intentionally trying to prevent with those Mm -hmm. systems often get they're exacerbated yes. because of the distraction. So um, I'd say that, again, it takes a real initiative on the, on the part of the clinician to really say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you quality time and I'm going to, I'm going to really focus on you and not be distracted with right. all the things that they say that on average nurses are distracted every two and a half minutes. Whoa. How do you get anything done? It's like a toddler. That's right. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So somebody's somebody's needing you to do something. Somebody's calling your yeah. you know, your your pager. You're getting buzzed overhead because there's a family member. And back in my day, we didn't even have twenty four hour visitation. Now hospitals, that is part of their customer service. And even in critical care, my background we had four times a day for 15 minutes and they had to come and go not true anymore these family members can come anytime high distraction environment so um to really be able to offer some dedicated time and focus for their patients is very difficult so you bring up a really good point because what that creates is a little bit of a a struggle between customer value because patients want to see family family want to see patients and organizational effectiveness Mm -hmm. because you've got to have some guidelines to say you know when do we make sure that we're not hurting one versus the other Mm -hmm. and you know another thing that I think comes to mind with that is the challenge of making sure that when we create new process when we create new technology how do we do it in a way that is actually encouraging and supporting the process and the way it should go versus adding steps to a process right because a lot of these things when you think about electronic medical records and different systems we're using there's good reason that we have them it adds value because we can document safety things. Nets. safety yes it catches things that we wouldn't have otherwise but there's a flip side and a trade-off to that around how do we make sure we're also not creating new distractions with that yeah when you go into the doctor's office and everyone's looking at the, the computer yes <laughs> i had a really i'm talking to the back of your head I, I know i know i had a really wise instructor when i was in nursing school who just said look at the patient like you know again yeah monitors and critical care was my background but even if you're just on the, on the med surge there's everybody kind of gets caught up in the telemetry and what do the monitors say look at the patients like you know there's it means so much right, right. be in the be in the moment right? right absent present as I give my husband a really hard time like he's in the room but he's really absent <laughs> yeah. from this conversation when you've been in the room together for what 15 minutes you're both looking at your phones you realize you haven't communicated face to face when you're sitting on the same couch yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. and we do that in healthcare yeah. Yeah. Well, in any business. but even, even yeah. more dangerous in healthcare, right yeah. because right. it can be the difference between life and death yeah. and I again I love that systems can help 
help prevent medical errors and that was that's their mm-hmm. driving intent but at the same time there's a lot of a lot of distractions as yeah. you said Jennifer it's not augmenting the process oftentimes it's layering onto the process to an already stressed an right. overworked workforce. Well, and I think what this has done, though, is it's created a window for unique businesses or unorthodox, unorthodox businesses such as Amazon or um, other areas to come in that may have not been considered a traditional you know, person in that industry. And that's where your disruptors come in. Yeah. And so I think the midst of all this technology has actually allowed us to start to see, oh, there's a, there's an opportunity there because historically, and I think we still have a long ways to go. Healthcare has always been, you have to really peek behind the curtain to see what's going on. You don't actually always see all of the busyness, the hustle and bustle of what's going on to, to treat a patient. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And so how do we create that transparency? How do we take that away from the, the mystery of it, right? How do we take that away from healthcare? Um, you know, again, I, I, technology is important. Yeah. Um, I do think Amazon is a great example of a disruptor and they're going to come in and say, okay, we don't have any preconceived notions or expectations and let's do things differently. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm intrigued to, to kind of find out what they're going to do. Um, at the end of the day, it still kind of comes down to Bob's environment where it's people delivering human yep. health care to their patients right. whether you're you know in a 25 bed hospital and you're yelling down the hall because you want a cbc stat or you've got an electronic medical record where you can do it you know quickly and efficiently through a computer um at the end of the day you still have to get to the human nature of the business right and i think that's one of the things that continues to create the strategic differentiation of it so one other thing just to kind of pivot because i want to bring up another topic that he talked about which was around consolidation in the industry i was going to ask you the same exact thing so can i ask yeah okay uh, this we're all hearing about bigger hospital chains yes buying out smaller ones Mm -hmm. does that mean they're eliminating them or could they allow those smaller hospitals to still operate under their framework and Mm -hmm. if they do do are do they have the capacity to allow that old school medicine style of treating patients work in those rural areas i mean that's like that's like two worlds colliding right so there's a couple of approaches in which you typically see that right so one is that you do hear a lot about that and a lot of this started especially with the aca coming up from all of the 2009 with all the regulations that were changing because hospitals recognized that we've got our payment structure is changing Right. So we're going from, although we say, or that was the intention to go from volume based to value based and being paid based on value, not just how much, right. Not just how much service or how many tests I can give you or et cetera, even if you didn't need it. Right. So that was kind of the premise behind it. We still, again, have actually a long ways to go Mm -hmm. in, in that world. But in the midst of that, it was the sake of how do we create efficiencies? And one of those was how do we create more buying power coming together with consolidation, maximize things through our supply chain and different factors that can help us just run more efficiently. So for some organizations, when they were buying up these smaller areas, it actually helps the big organizations because they can, they can, um, divert the patients who probably don't need to come to their facility. It's a good triage mechanism. Exactly. They're bursting at the seams. We we have a lot of, of needs 
in in hospitals uh, and we can't always we don't always have capacity for them so by supporting those organizations they can actually maintain their business so they can subsidize some of them because of their their challenges and it actually supports the larger organizations but that doesn't always happen i know lisa and i'd love to hear if you've had an experience where there are times when they actually don't keep the store the the um hospital open yeah so um i mean again we've all seen consolidation the big boys in atlanta they're reaching further and further out into rural georgia and they're aligning with organizations they're either partnering with usually that's how it starts i partner with and then i buy or i partner and i right. merge whatever the, the, the term big, is the big joke is partnering means merging yeah let's, let's yeah, just say for it. sure yeah. but again we heard bob talk about the financial constraints he's under that's right. a huge challenge for his organization so having a large mothership that actually has a better you know payer mix that can help offset some of those service line costs that jennifer mm -hmm. mentioned um, is a really big value to them. The downside is, is oftentimes they'll partner, they'll date you for a while, maybe they'll even buy you and marry you, and then they may still close you down. So um, I know where I'm from in rural North Carolina, that happened, really small town. The hospital was kind of the lifeblood to my mom and dad, and a larger hospital 25 miles away bought them and decided nope we're just going to make you a freestanding er it was exactly what bob talked mm -hmm. about and what is the what what are the what are the downsides from just an er because he touched on that quickly he said it's not enough for us to be a freestanding er what would a freestanding er look like versus a small hospital yes yeah, so a freestanding er they your length of stay is is less than 24 hours so we want you in and out now again there's a lot to be said for the value of stabilizing a patient getting them to the point they can get into an ambulance um, or helicopter and and travel to the next tertiary care facility however that patient may not they may not actually need to travel to the mm -hmm. next hospital for surgery um, but if they had an acute care bed that they could transfer them into and maybe it's end-of-life services as Bob mentioned for this patient example um, it could be a myriad of things that they actually need but you know, small communities need, they need access to healthcare. And again, the time, the, the clock is ticking when you come into an ER, they want you in and out. And again, a lot of that's reimbursed, reimbursement based, but it's also just the sheer nature of their business. Right, right. Because it's emergency medicine. Yeah. Right. So I, you're I there to, for emergencies. Right. And I'm triaging the, the sickest and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that we get them stable. And then beyond that point, um, oftentimes they may or may not have maybe even a long-term care facility for them to be transitioned mm -hmm. to maybe even into hospice there may not be those transitional care what do you do with that patient in the rural America then they still have to travel somewhere else or go back home right. and even think about the impact that has on preventive conditions and chronic conditions right how are we managing our diabetes patients how are we managing our congested heart failure patients they need that struggle and when you're 75 miles from the next level up sometimes to your point you know that stabilizing them is really difficult to do and then you know a transport can actually also be very dangerous for those patients exactly. even if they they are stable where they are at that moment mm -hmm. so it's not just about giving them access to emergency care it's about giving them access to to wellness care which we have not done a good job at in healthcare in the u.s we're very focused on sick care not necessarily how do we keep you healthy care yeah for sure well and you'll tertiary notice tertiary care versus primary care right. right and you'll notice that a lot of the insurance companies now are trying to focus on wellness they want you to take steps uh, 
take, you know, the, the customer or mm-hmm. the, the person to take steps on your part to yes. get those annual exams, to, you know, get those tests taken every year. And that's all wellness. And that that's great that the insurance companies want you to do that. There's got to be an easy way to go do that. For sure. Yes. Yeah, so one of the assignments for our class that we did, actually, Bob was one of my partners in this, and we got to design healthcare. Um, it was, of course, our utopia of yeah. healthcare. <laughs> and so one of the things we had was, well, we're just going to make everybody healthy. <laughs> and then you just get rid of all the issues, right? So how do we just keep everybody healthy? And then we would solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Good right? luck with P- that. Piece of it, cake. I don't know away the all the behavioral challenges. Yeah, no big thing. Social challenges, other environmental agents. Yeah, I don't see Very the problem. Difficult. No. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yes. Why don't you make that your 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 dissertation? You said, your you thesis. said Bob for president, right? Yeah, you <laughs> say Bob for president. He may be he may be crowdsourcing now yeah. for his funds. <laughs> Sorry. How far along are we? I mean, obviously, we've seen these buy-ups of sm- uh, bigger chains buying up smaller chains. I think we've seen that in all businesses. Yeah. There comes a point in other industries, will it happen for healthcare as well, that we'll decide, wait a minute, maybe there's a good balance? Yeah, I mean, the government tries to regulate. I mean, just recently, Northside and Gwinnett were approved um, on that merger. Um, And so that financial transaction will happen probably in the summer of this year. It has been in the works for over three years. Yeah, because it's been talked about for a long time. Long time, right? So the government, you know, had to weigh in. Federal government had to determine, you know, is there some, is the CON relevant? Is this appropriate? Um, you know, again, they're trying to balance out um, kind of the competitive nature in healthcare. Right. Um, I think more importantly is is we we really need to be active um, voters and be aware when it comes down to legislation around healthcare because if these rural hospitals close their doors, um, I think it it hurts the big guys at the end game because right. they need the referral business as well. So more organizations at the larger health health system side are seeing you know I'm I'm at a disadvantage if I close you down completely because you are a revenue stream for me because I can bring you in for surgery or for diabetes care, uh, whatever that may be. So I do believe that there's a shift, again, every region is different, to um, collaborate and work with those communities. Again, there's a lot of people living in rural America, a lot in rural Georgia. I think it's probably more than the 20%, I would say, in rural Mm -hmm. Georgia. And um, I believe that those organizations have recognized we're not better served if we just shut you down completely. Right. I think the end game will be around reimbursements, however. And um, as Jennifer mentioned, moving from fee-for-service, you know, to this value-based care is not been easy. And we're still kind of in the middle of, of that move. And, and healthcare providers and hospital administrators are straddling both worlds um, and so I think that the, the payment structure is really going to dictate kind of the viability of these little hospitals going forward, unless the big boys do what's right. And when they buy them, they don't shut them down. Gotcha. And we are seeing more creative solutions because the other thing you'll mention, and, and you've kind of, I don't know if you guys have noticed, and I was just trying to see if I could find um, the specific reference, but it's kind of gone a little bit up and down since 2010. We've seen mergers and acquisitions go up, and then we've seen at one year where it started to stick down a little bit and coming back up. And so, it, because it's a question of, is it actually giving them the value that they expected from it to, from the gains of bargaining power and supply chain and other, other mm-hmm. factors for mm-hmm. the leverage. But the other piece 
piece of it in terms of for again to rural America is it creates partnerships and alliances but you'll see some organizations that they may not be able to do actual uh, purchases because of different reasons so instead what they are looking at is what are some of those creative components of creative partnerships so I want to just put in one plug here because we've been talking a lot about rural health and one of the things that we're working on with Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation that'll come out this fall we don't even have the dates yet we're in the process of it it's looking like early November but we are going to host a rural health symposium which is going to be targeted for not just small rural hospital CEOs but also larger ones that have that want to partner with those communities to understand what are some of those creative partnerships what do they look like and so we're actually looking with uh, working with some of the hospitals and the across the country who have been able to do some of those partnerships to come in as panels and speak and being able to again support what that looks like because the strategy has to be a little different tell me bob peterson is going to be a part of that i hope so yeah we need to we need to get him in on that because it's fascinating conversation it's something that as you said is not changing and everyone's straddling both worlds and we're figuring out as we go along Another great show, ladies. I appreciate it. I want to thank everyone out there for joining us on Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. We will have another live show next Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. And then you can also see our, or see, <laughs> we are not TV, we are radio. I'm coming from a TV world. You can listen anytime. Uh, we, of course, are on Business Radio X. You can also go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of both of the women with me, Lisa and Jennifer, and also um, Mike and Trey sitting behind us producing for us, we appreciate you listening. We'll join you next time on Business Radio X. 